This is the MLW Radio Network. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? It's your boy, Blackheart, the head honcho off the Top Roast Podcast. If you love independent and professional wrestling and like all the juicy gossip of the wrestling industry, then look no further than here, OTTR Headquarters. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitch, and Facebook groups, and whatever that you get your podcast from with our, with our latest Last Week of Wrestling, After Darts, Under Boss's Hard Taste, and now our new upcoming trivia game show, Wrestling Every, coming soon. So if you like what you've seen, you love professional wrestling, you love independent wrestling, you love everything about wrestling just yourself, give us a tune. You know, you would not regret it. Blackheart out. Everyone knows a lot of things can change in the span of 10 years. But when it comes to professional wrestling podcasting, one thing is still guaranteed. The Shining Wizards is the only place to get all the latest wrestling news, interviews with the greatest guests, and of course, tons of laughs in discussing the world of wrestling. The show is still available on Monday nights at 7 p.m. East on RantDMRadio.com and Rant Entertainment Media on the TuneIn app. And it's still available on all podcasting platforms. To check us out, head over to ShiningWizards.com where it's still wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Are you tired of prediction shows? Do you want to fantasy book the companies? Does Bigfoot even really exist? If you answered yes to any of those questions, then check out the podcast that isn't a podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, the standing streamer stands and delivers as he and Vanessa talk about all that's going on in pro wrestling today. Plus, see in-depth conversations with people in and around the wrestling world as guests share their stories and insights about making it in the business. The Putting You Over Podcast. Putting your weeknights over every Tuesday and Thursday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night. My name is Thomas and what's your name? Uh, I'm Alan. Alan. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. We're brothers. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mother, same mother and father. Your room was... Oh, we shared a room. Shared a room. For we shared a room. Thought I knew your face. Yeah, we so go we... way back, mate. Yeah. yeah. We should do a podcast then. Uh, we have. We do. We do a podcast. We do a podcast. What's it called? The Broadcast. Yeah, that was planned. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do we do? Well, we cover all different things in the world of pop culture. We're talking about comic books. We're talking about professional wrestling, and we're talking about movies. Go back and watch classic retro wrestling events, the likes of WWE, WCW, and if you do like that, you can check us out on Apple iTunes, also on Podbean, Anchor, and on Podknife. Also, check us out on Twitter at the Broadcast. That's B R O. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Ending. Yeah, it's all right. Good on you. Yeah. Instagram also at the Broadcast Podcast. Remember, we don't spell it with a C, we spell it with a K. Sorry, mate. Take it easy. Two Heels and a Face Wrestling Podcast believes wrestling is a buffet. There's something there for everyone. These guys cover local Chicago indie scene, and all of their episodes can be found at twoheelsandaface.com. The number two heelsandaface.com Welcome to another episode of Overbooked. My name is Mike Freeland and we are currently on chapter 13 of the Sabu book. If you're following along with us right now, we are reading Scars, Silence, and Superglue, The Book of Sabu. Once again, we are on Chapter 13, and this one's called Typical Indie. 
You know, it's very common for wrestlers with TV experience to be booked on a lot of shows everywhere to help promoters draw money. Now, the sheer amount of these random promotions out there that most fans maybe not even heard of. There's so many in every state. Sometimes it's unheard of how many there are. When a name wrestler is booked, they usually get the whole show revolves around them. They are just like the big celebrity that's being celebrated. The posters have their face all over it. The main event is all about them. The entire budget sometimes is often dedicated just to one star. This means that a name wrestler who has been out there often gets paid more for doing these spot shows than the other people who work in the promotion itself. Now, the one name that would get the bulk of the take would be that one star. Now, because of this idea, the range of what a name wrestler can make is, is kind of crazy. It really is kind of a crapshoot in the wild, wild west of what we call independent wrestling. Like Forrest Gump once said, you never know what you're going to get. Sometimes the promoters do a really good job and they draw a ton of people on a nice, decent draw for the arena. Now, other times they only promote the person that's going to be coming to the show and they only do it on certain things of social media, such as Facebook. Therefore, they only draw the family and the friends of the wrestlers on the card and the venue really loses out. Have you ever heard of a wrestling promoter like Mike Sparta? He was a good example of both. Rather than to spotlight the hundreds of little promotions out there that could end up seeing a guy like me working for them on a weekend, I figured I would give a look at this one promotion that epitomizes typical indie. Now, living in New Jersey, I was booked a lot in the Northeast because I was considered a drive-in talent. I would get known around a lot of guys in the New York City, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New Jersey area. And I would go up and down the East Coast because, well, I was a name and I was good in the ring. And I had easy access to them as well. This meant that a promoter didn't have to pay for a flight to bring me in. They maybe would just throw me a little extra over the top when it came to gas money or what we in the wrestling business call trans. And they could save hundreds of dollars instead of having to fly me in like they would some other big named stars as well. Well, it's not uncommon for wrestlers to drive maybe six, seven, or eight hours, or sometimes even more, for the next gig. Now, we know we're not going to get a lot of money for it. Sometimes we're only in the ring for maybe 20 minutes, and that's a lot. But rather than the number of hours it takes to get into the ring, sometimes it's on the road that really is the big thing. The World Wrestling Alliance of the WWA was a name. It was a New England-based promotional wrestling event that was much like many of the other ones I used to work for, and I continue to do so to this day. It was located in Massachusetts, and it started in 1996. Now, like many other promotions, it was first founded by a semi-lesser-known name in the business. In this case, the promoter was a former WWF referee named Fred Sparta, who also enlisted help from his mother, Mike. They ran some really great shows, and they had some other shows that were actually not very good. For those who are not really familiar with the Northeast independent wrestling scene around Boston and other cities such as Massachusetts, well, it all started in the late 90s, and there were three big promotions in general, the WWA, Sheldon Goldberg's NECW, and a promotion in northern Massachusetts and New Hampshire called Chaotic Wrestling. Now, I worked for all of them. A number of them were fly-by-night promotions that would only run one show. They would lose all their money and never be heard from again. Now, this occurrence still happens, and it's still the norm today. In April of 1998, the WWF officials came to the WWA looking for a place for their next generation of superstars that could get polished, and they could thrust them into the world of the WWF. 
Well, WWA began serving as WWF's official developmental, or what we call farm territory, for the Northeast. Now, the relationship was not really well known by so many people, so I thought it would be interesting to mention this promotion here in the book. Now, after Fred retired from WWA in the year 2000, Mike paid much inheritance to the company. I worked for him on a number of occasions and did some other ECW originals, such as Chris Cantino, Tommy Dreamer, Sandman, and the Dudleys. Promoters are often characters themselves, and in this case, he was no different. Mike Sparta looked a little like a cross between Austin Powers and eastbound and down Kenny Powers, and he was slightly insane to say the least. He used foul language all the time and had a thick Boston accent. He would often refer to a guy on the card as being a fucking fuck, almost like the terminology was accepted everywhere. Now, because of this and his whiny voice and odd choice of wandering around everywhere, didn't always work for him, and he developed this over-the-top ridiculous impersonation of himself. Hey, Anthony, he would often yell out to the ring crew. He would start mocking certain people before the show. Go over there and open the door and get me a grinder, you fucking fuck. A grinder. Now, that's a submarine sandwich, or also known as a hoagie, up in the Northeast. Now, on September the 13th of 2003, Fonzie and I were booked to work a show at the Arlington Memorial High School in Vermont. I remember being told by Sparta that the school was having a fundraiser for their athletic department. In typical indie wrestling fashion, however, I heard the show ended up costing them more money than they actually had made. One of the reasons for this was because they had a brand new gym floor that was just redone and painted, and the ring crew scratched the hell out of it. Ah, as he would say, those fucking fucks. WWA always had a decent amount of talent on their cards. They had some veteran guys like Tom Brandy and Tom Pritchard who were booking the shows, also with younger talent like Luke Harper and Damian Sandow, years before they ever signed with WWE. Now, the first few years, Mike Sparta used Tom Brandy as a booker, which would continue and do it on and off throughout the promotion's history. Now, some will actually remember Tom Brandy as Salvatore Sincere in the WWF, and maybe others remember him as Johnny Gunn in WCW. Now, the main event for this evening was myself, reunited with Bill Alfonso as my manager again, against a decent guy named Don Vega with his manager, Kenny Casanova, the guy who incidentally helped me write this book. Now, before the show, you could hear the crowd. They were already hot. The promoter got together with the boys in the locker room beforehand to give us some instructions. Now, listen here, you fucking fucks, Mike Sparta would say in his trademark gross Boston accent. No fucking swearing, okay? There's kids out there tonight, so keep it clean. No swearing. No stone cold middle fingers or any of that fucking fucking shit, all right? Well, Mike Sparta was one of those guys who would always try to pay his undercard wrestlers off with a hot dog and a handshake. Nobody who would ever take someone seriously would ever do that anymore. This is why it was always important to have a good booker there who was running the locker room, someone the boys respected so they actually would listen to them. Now, during the tail end of the Attitude Era talk, the kids in attendance, and this was practically not many, most independent shows at this time were obscenely vocal. Now, they did end up throwing a lot of signs up, such as DX at Suck It signs, groin chops, and all that stuff. But as usual, we would always say yes, of course, and then go out there and pretty much do whatever we wanted. 
Now, Mike Sparta usually ran double shots, meaning he would run a show on both a Friday and a Saturday. This would save money on flights, and he would also get more names on his show a little bit cheaper at a rate. Sometimes he would even run triple shots. Because of this, I will admit, Fonzie and I partied a little too much sometimes. So, one time, we were oh, loudly dressing and doing karaoke singing with manager Kenny Casanova while he was managing my opponent, Don Vega, and I was being managed by Bill Alfonso, and we all partied and had a pretty great time together. But they didn't have a table for us, and they didn't have anything for me to break. And I did find this long wooden bleacher bench, the kind you would find in a locker room, so we figured that we would use that for our finish and use it as a makeshift table to give the audience what they wanted. Now this is the story from my opponent himself, Don Vega, of the match that kind of left a bad taste in both of our mouths. Don Vega. When I was informed by the promoter of WWA that I had and will be wrestling as Sabu at the upcoming event in Burlington, Vermont, I guess I was excited. Sabu was quickly becoming an established legend at this point, and I was looking forward to getting to work with him again. Now, the day of the event, I picked up Sabu at the Logan International Airport in Boston to start our six-hour journey over the upcoming show that evening. Also traveling with me was my father and girlfriend, who just happened to be eight months pregnant. Now, due to that wonderful convenience, I was more nervous about anything. I was more nervous about her going into labor in the trip than I was about actually wrestling a big-name star like Sabu. I mean, listen, I'm Don Vega. I'm doing the best I can right now, but wrestling somebody like Sabu at this time would be huge. Now, I had already had the pressure of working with Sabu a while back ago when he first tore his bicep. It was a little scary at first because, you know, it was involuntary twitching was happening, and it was happening during our whole match, and it was a bit disturbing. But little did I know that was going to be just the way it was. Now, Bennington, Vermont is a small little shithole of a town. We stopped at the only place we could find something to eat, which ended up being a questionable deli. Now, we drove down the road and pulled into the venue where the show was going to be held. Now, once there, we were greeted by a very accommodating and nurturing promoter, Mike Sparta. Sparta was known in that region for having more than one screw loose. Regardless of how comical it might be to watch him, he was also the one running the show and, you know, you had to humor him. After his warm greeting of, You motherfuckers! He explained to me that he wanted Sabu and me to wrestle a hardcore match, but that was not all. He also wanted me to portray a new character called the Executioner. His idea was he wanted to drop hints to the audience that I was actually D'Lo Brown due to my resemblance to the other more recognizable wrestler. Uh, but Mike, I said, I'm Puerto Rican and D'Lo's black. He looked at me once over and shook his head. That doesn't matter, he said. These stupid cockshit heads won't even be able to tell the difference. You actually think they're going to know who Thilo is under a mask? You think so, I asked? I know so, he said. They're going to love it. They're going to think you're just another guy, but a bigger name on the show. Well, of course, it was nothing short of brilliant. Scumbag promoters everywhere thought at the time they would try to fool fans, believing a lesser-known wrestler was actually somebody else. And the idea, again, was not new. In the same vein as Dusty Rhodes getting fired and returning as the Midnight Rider, Sparta hoped that this simple-minded fans that he brought to the show 
would buy into what he was selling. If I went out there shaking my head like D'Lo Brown and teasing the reveal of my true identity, it would be a great catch that would really build an audience. Of course, the mask isn't coming off and the fans will never see who it really is. Anyhow, it's not really important in my opinion, but that's what Sparta wanted. Typical scumbag logic here, right? To add to the ridiculous of the night, I also was being appointed manager Kenny Casanova to even odds against Sambu and Bill Alfonso, and break balls to no end. The music finally hit. Nobody made the connection that I was really supposed to be masked D'Lo, so I stopped playing it up like I was D'Lo. We started our match just like any normal one. Everything started out just fine. It began with an exchange of solid wrestling holds. It eventually escalated into Sabu doing his signature springboard leg drop on me, and then a dive. Once we got to the cutoff point, I hit the ropes and I rushed into him with my arms out. Now, this was not to be your average clothesline from hell, however. This one was more a clothesline with smell. You see, a split second before it connected, I saw a projectile streak of puke emanated from his mouth flying straight at me, but it was too late. Disgustingly enough, at the moment of impact, Sabu's barf launched directly in the mouth area of my mask. While this particular mask protected my identity, it did not protect me against his puke. After all, the largest spurt of vomit went directly, yep, inside my mouth. I immediately tried to spit it out, but the mask didn't allow it for an easy exit. Some of it went down, it was beefy, cheesy, chunky, and salty, and sour all at the same time. Yeah, you're welcome for the description. If it wasn't that bad enough, before I could wallow in my own self-pity, I realized that something else had still been going wrong. Sabu fell over. We both continued to spit down onto the mat. He looked at me as if he was going to die right there next to me. He continued to heave right in the middle of the ring before eventually crawling towards the apron. He was trying with all his might to breathe just to get out. He was gasping for air. Before ducking under the ropes for his grand exit, Sabu stopped on his knees. He was coughing, and I feared the worst. I took it upon myself to climb over him to get him back out as quickly as I could. Now, in wrestling, that's pretty common, but in this instance, I was actually hitting him on the back to save him from choking on his own vomit. Sabu finally staggered over to his manager, Bill Alfonso, for a pep talk and maybe some Pepto-Bismol. I rolled out of the ring on the other side in turn towards my manager at that time, Kenny Casanova, to kind of regroup if we could. Kenny was laughing hysterically. Dude, he said under his breath, did he just barf in your mouth? I said, yes, what the fuck? Sorry, man, I don't think that was a planned puke spot. And then something just suddenly came up. I looked at Kenny like I was going to kill him. But there was no time to joke around. He knew I was not happy, and he continued. Uh, was it too soon? Was that in poor taste? Kenny asked. Oh my gosh, I couldn't help myself. Kenny knew the odds of you drowning with a shot of puke from your opponent, who was attempting to clothesline you, and then hit you with a lot more than just that, probably wasn't normal. I guess I was just that lucky of a guy. I gave Sabu a few moments to get his bearings back, as I needed to as well. It could have easily turned into a contagious bout of barfing between both of us, as I was still dry heaving the very thought of what just had happened to me. Now, the referee in the match, Sal Galberto, almost counted to ten, then ducked under the ropes from inside the ring to break his own count. He looked at us and called for the match to continue, saying, Okay, guys, get back in the ring. This time, chunks 
count anywhere. Now, two, just two lines right now in the last 20 seconds. I'm sure you enjoyed it. But I was doomed. It was then I knew that I could never live this down. Once we calmed down our stomachs, we both managed to climb back into the ring to finish the match. And as they say, the show must go on. So it did. We rushed through the end of the match and ran back to the locker room. Mike Sparta was right there waiting in the locker room for us. I guess the match left a bad taste in his mouth too. He was pretty upset with Sabu and he gave him a mouthful. No pun intended. I'm not going to lie. I was upset as well. But I also realized that, you know, sometimes accidents happen. Sabu is evidently very embarrassed and very apologetic. Bill Alfonso laughed a little bit, and he tried to lighten up the mood in the situation, as did my manager counterpoint Kenny as well. Sabu, Kenny said, what did you eat for lunch? Sabu said a cheeseburger, sub, and a banana milkshake. Was it good? Kenny asked, only asking. What a bastard. This was just the beginning, too. Kenny would rib me for the next 15 years whenever he saw me and finally contacted me about putting the story in the book. Even today, he is still throwing up even more dumb puke jokes. Now, Sabu and I had our aftermatch conversation inside the shower. I went in with all my gear on. I wanted that shit off of me as soon as possible. Sabu was still very embarrassed and very apologetic. He couldn't just go in and hide. He still had six-hour ride back to the hotel with me all the way to Boston. Now, he is a super guy, though. The whole trip, he really wanted to make it up to me. If you want, stop somewhere for a nice dinner, he said. It's on me. I wanted to say thanks, but I already ate, and I had to let this thing go. I mean, the guy was offering to buy me dinner. I guess it was only fair after, well, Sabu shared his lunch in my mouth. I don't think we stopped for food on our way back to Boston, but man, my appetite, I'll be honest, was gone after that. Now, years later, people in the wrestling business still bring up the whole story, and it's pretty regurgitating to say the least. Now, there are some bits of truth inside a lot of fiction of what actually happened that night. Hopefully, this finally sets the record straight. Since then, Sabu and I have gone on to have other matches as recently as 2017. He's honestly one of the best in the business ever, bar none. His contributions to modern-day wrestling is unparalleled by any. Today, this is the story that we can look back on and have a good laugh about. Sincerely, Don Vega. WWA and more indie shit again. Now, working for Mike Sparta was a trip. I remember one weekend I did a double shot for him, but only got half my money as we had agreed on. Sparta had some kind of lame excuse that he was going to need to bring in a good name to get enough money so he could pay me actually what he owed me, my quote-unquote fair share. He was going to book Scott Hall. Look, Sabu, I just can't pay you unless uh, we get Scott Hall. He said on my voicemail that he would be here next week. Do your part too and come in. Now, this mentality made no sense to me because I had already done my part and wrestled on his shows for him. Twice, in fact. But either way, I tried to get Scotty somehow. The problem was it was like $10,000 and there was no way Sparta was ever going to give up that kind of money to make this kind of a match happen. Chris Candido used to tell a funny story about Sparta 
in his shady ways. In many interviews, including one with High Spots, he explained how Sparta booked him, Sandman, and myself in a three-way dance called the Triple H Match. However, the reason he called it that had nothing to do with the wrestler by the name. Candido rather called the match Triple H because the H stood for heroin, which actually was the kind of payment that Sparta was hoping to use that night to pay all of us off. Look at you bastards, he would say, seeing us taking a pain pill in the back. Those don't do shit. You need to stop taking the pills. You need to start taking the China White. Sandman started laughing. There ain't no money tonight. Chris said that Sparta explained to him, I can't pay you in the real good shit. Look, Mike, that's fine. We all get it. I may want you to buy some of that after the show tonight, but you can't pay me in drugs, he said. I mean, that stuff doesn't get my bills paid. And when I go to pay my phone bill, I can't take out a bottle of pills and count out a certain number of them to cover my balance. Just sell it, he, he yelled. You know, you can make all your money back. I'm not a drug dealer, Mike. Now, Sparta's promotion is a perfect example of what I would call indie nonsense. When you wrestle on the independents, you just never know what you're going to come in contact with. Now, they're not all bad, don't get me wrong, but sometimes you can make even more on the indies than you can working for a big promotion that's on TV. Now, one of the better independent promotions I worked for was not too long ago for PCW in Arlington, Texas for a guy named Walter Bussey. The arena had an old theater, and 500 people looked like 5,000 the way they had it set up, and it always sold out. The dressing room was a real gym, and it was super, super nice. It looked like the Sportatorium back in Dallas, but even better. They focused on wrestling, and they always treated me and all the other wrestlers really well, like kings. Now, the worst part was the recent memory was probably the last week or so in July, while they were paying $1,000 to get me in which was in full advance, and I didn't want to go to the show all that bad. The ring was in the backyard of a guy, and it was attached to a goat who was in the corner. We had to make our entrance from the garage and get dressed in a van. We performed in front of two rows of lawn chairs. It was absolutely horrible, but I had to do it because they prepaid me. That's going to do it for chapter 13. When we move on to chapter 14, Sabu's going to talk about his TNA impact days and what that was like. If you're enjoying this podcast, once again, remember, Overbooked is your podcast where we cover the audio version of a wrestling book. Remember, all our podcasts are available anywhere fine podcasts are made available, and that includes Headlines, our daily podcast that brings you all the late-breaking news in the world of wrestling, and our Friday show, which is the Front Row Material brand, which is our panel show where we discuss everything happening in the world of wrestling. With that being said, my name is Mike Freeland, and I will catch you on Chapter 14 of Overbooked. My name is Mike Freeland, and if you're looking for an exciting wrestling podcast to add to your library, then look no further than the Front Row Material brand. Each and every week, I sit down with some of the most exciting superstars in the world of wrestling, from upcoming stars in the indies to dedicated veterans of the squared circle. I also host a daily podcast called Headlines, which gives you the updated information on all your favorite superstars in all your favorite promotions, giving you not only the backstage look, but also what are the industry experts saying about things. And finally, join myself and my 
my executive producer, The Rit, where we talk about everything in the world of professional wrestling all across the landscape, from storylines to interviews to what's happening and what we think is going to be happening the next time you turn on your TV. Don't miss it. It's the Front Row Material brand brought to you by the MLW Radio Network. The world of MLW Radio.